0: This is The Next Level, a brand new show on the Packet Pushers community channel where real network professionals charge in the difficult IT management situations. Lead from the front and get it right. Join us as we ask the hard questions that most people are too afraid to ask and figure out how to drive the positive change you want to see. We'll take you from the CLI to CIO. I'm Damon Hoising from Packet Brigade. You can find me on Twitter at
1: Packet Brigade. And I'm Drew Conrimari from Packet Pushers, and I'm on Twitter at Drew underscore CM. Many of our listeners you work for an enterprise or maybe at a consulting firm or for a vendor, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of you out there are fantasizing about what it would be like if you could be out on your own, whether as a freelancer or by starting your own business. And on paper, it sounds great. You know, you set your own hours, you would be your own boss, you live by your wits and your guile and instead of running on the same old corporate treadmill.
0: You might be going through a reduction in force, a midlife crisis, or wondering if this is the right path for you. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the benefits and perils of life as an employee a freelancer and an entrepreneur. Joining us today is Ben Whaley, founder of Whale Tech. Ben, please introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about your background.
2: Sure. Nice to be here on the show with um, everyone today. Let's see. I got my start consulting in Boulder, Colorado in sort of the mid-2000s, and I did that for a few years. I liked consulting, but it always kind of left me feeling as if it wasn't my project. I was always working on somebody else's thing. I only got to see a piece of it. And that ultimately sort of frustrated me a bit. And so I went on to some other things, did some defense contracting, and some heavy security work for a while before I made my way out to California and started working for Apogee, which some people may recognize as an API uh, management platform. And I helped build a lot of their cloud backend stuff. Since then, I went to work at Anki, another startup in the area, and then I realized, hey, I might be able to make a go of this on my own and court my own customers and um, sort of work on my own schedule. So I broke off and started Whale Tech, which is—it's really just, you know, a, a single-person consulting shop. I, I do work with contractors from time to time to help uh, augment my work on projects, but. Uh, primarily it's my own shop and I get to choose the type of projects that I work on. So real technical work, um a lot of system administration, DevOps security is is my focus areas.
1: All right. Also joining us is Keith Townsend. He's principal of the CTO Advisor and host of the CTO Advisor podcast. Keith, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your technical and business background?
3: Well obviously um uh the principal of the CTO advisor, whatever that means. And we'll get into that, I think, a little bit later on in the show. But I, I think I'm very much like much of this audience where I cut my teeth in traditional IT. I've uh, spent a lot of time in the large enterprise from companies such as Lockheed Martin, Tribune, Deutsche Bank. uh I spent a little bit of time. And smaller startup type companies did found out that that was not really my thing, from a technology perspective. Spent a lot of time doing the things that most Jacks of all trades do, anything from networking to Novell, uh, Novell <laughs> Novel system administration, Windows Active Directory, so on and so forth. Got my actually my undergrad and graduate's degree later on in life. Uh, my graduate's degree is in IT project management. I got the business bug a little bit and decided to go and work for a big four, specifically PWC. I spent a couple of years there looking at IT from the other side, mainly the business side, understanding the business drivers around IT, uh, what kind of drives a lot of the kooky decisions some of our managers may make, those pressures and understanding and pulling back those layers of why we make those decisions and and how do we uh, execute on some of these business strategies. The past uh, couple of years or past year and a half, I've taken a hybrid role. I have a full-time day W-2 job in in the evening or whenever I can... uh, find time when I'm not sleeping. I'm doing the CTO advisor thing where I'm advising architects and CTOs on strategy.
0: Well, I'd like to start off by describing what we mean by employee, freelancer, and entrepreneur. And after that, we'll kind of dive into the pros and cons a little bit. Keith, would you describe what it means to be an employee?
3: So I, I, I can't remember, and Drew, you can help me on this one. I can't uh, remember the term that Greg uses, but it's something uh, along the lines <laughs> of uh, 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 what was it, W-2 or Paycheck Slave or something to that Yeah, effect. I think
1: he's Wage Slave, essentially. Oh,
3: yeah, Wage Slave. But, That's uh, pretty accurate. Yeah, but basically your full time is dedicated to the company. In exchange for you giving them your 8 to 5 attention, whatever that set time period is, they give you uh, Paycheck and Benefits. They set your schedule. They set your priorities. They set your time. And in return for that uh, commitment, they give you a paycheck.
0: One thing about that that I've noticed is I don't know how common it – if you find it common as well in the IT industry, a lot of employee relationships are an at-will relationship. Particularly, I've been working in the Midwest in Ohio where it's an at-will state. And so that means that uh, you can leave or be fired for any reason or no reason, although it does seem to be pretty seldom. But there have been cases where people have been fired over politics
3: there's just a handful of one of states that's not at will but that gives an awful lot of power to the employer basically they can just say you know what uh you're doing a great job there's no business driver we just don't want the relationship anymore (laughs) and that can be a result of political or even um some type of relationship management issues where someone just, you know, they just don't like you, you know, it could be personality. And that's one of the pitfalls if, as well. And, and, you know, it goes both sides as an employee, you can just walk into your manager's office or shoot an email to your manager and say, you know what, I, I'm done with this. I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm just going to spend the rest of my days at home in a robe.
0: <laughs>
1: exactly. So on the flip side, Ben, how would you describe freelancing?
2: Freelancing, you know, from a government sort of regulatory standpoint, usually means you're working as a 1099 contractor. You may or may not have your own sort of small business shell around your freelance work to protect your personal interests, which I happen to. Whale Tech is a California registered LLC that protects my personal, separates my personal and business life. You know, as a freelancer, you're sort of responsible for the whole the whole field. You need to find your clients, you need to handle paying yourself and any contractors you hire, you need to invoice your clients, you need to pay your taxes, figure out all of the business arrangements, have bank accounts, you have to run a small business, essentially. So so there's sort of that overhead. But on the flip side, you normally will make a little more money per hour, right? Because you have to cover all of the, that overhead and you set your own schedule. There's nobody telling you really when to work or where to show up. You get to choose your clients by virtue of, you know, selecting, going to meetups or whoever, however you meet your clients, you end up selecting your projects. And so it's it's sort of rewarding in that way, I think. It's often a pretty, spe- I don't know if you guys have found this to be true, but I often find it to be pretty specialized. If you're too broad as a freelancer, people don't necessarily recognize you in, as an expert at any one thing. And that's what your that's your real mark, right? That's the goal is that you need to be recognized as a true expert in the thing that you're consulting on. So that's the only way people are going to trust you. That makes mm-hmm. great sense.
0: I really like your description. I think it might be interesting to distinguish between entrepreneurship and freelancing a little bit. With that being said, where I am recognizing that uh, freelancing is a, is a business um, and has a lot of the complexities that have been described. Uh, but I think that was, there's a little bit of difference in sort of the end goal, right? So um, in Seth Godin's Startup School podcast, he does a nice job of explaining this a little bit. You know, if, if you're consulting, you're a freelancer, That that's basically <laughs> – you know, you, you, you do work, you get paid, you, you move on. You don't do work, you don't get paid. An entrepreneur seeks to build a business that's bigger than himself. Uh, Rate power talks about, you know, working on the business, not in the business. So an entrepreneur could be someone who's, uh, you know, learning and optimizing every aspect of the business rather than who just heads down into technical tasks and at the end of the day has a business asset that they can, they can sell. So I'm kind of curious if you guys agree on this distinction, at least in terms of the end result or the end goal of
3: freelancing and entrepreneurship. I think from a definition perspective, it makes sense. Like you said, there is some overlap in complexity, but I think for our conversation, it fits the frame of, I think, what we want to talk about of the difference between being a full time employee, a contractor and a uh, entrepreneur.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I will largely echo what Keith said and these quotes that you read, you know, those, those epitomize, I think, what an entrepreneur versus a freelancer is. An entrepreneur is always, whether they're building a service business or they're building a product, you know, they're trying to scale it and they're trying to build a team. I think that's a real differentiator is that a freelancer is often solo or maybe they have one partner or something that they work with but an entrepreneur is you know they're working to build a team of people and so the the real trick for an entrepreneur is to find people that you trust and that are producers and as a freelancer you sort of dis- discard that it's almost a selfish thing right it's like well i'm just going to work for myself because i don't trust anyone else so so that's like a, that's the naysayer's way to look at it
0: so what do you think about in the in the in terms of an exit so a freelancer you do what you love you're very passionate you probably work till you die right because you love what you do why stop um, whereas an entrepreneur may, maybe they can build up a business and build up a business asset and sell it and then go to a different business or retire or something like that. I mean, do you agree that that's a, it's granted it's very pie in the sky at this point, but that's a potential differentiator?
2: I think that's the promise, right, of being an <laughs> entrepreneur. That's, you get hired at, say, you're not the person leading the, the business you're not the entrepreneur starting the business but you're working there the promise that you're given is some equity that's going to pay off and that's the dream that i that lost me was like mm-hmm. if you look at the numbers by and large you are not going to get rich working for a startup and cashing in on equity you are more likely to make more money if you're working for a big business that's already public and you just get sort of regular stock grants as part of your compensation package You're going to make more money doing that and as a freelancer you don't get any equity there's no there's no dream of equity unless maybe you make it into a business arrangement right you'll say i'm going to work for half my rate and in return i'm going to get some equity out of this because i believe in your company and i know freelancers that occasionally work under that model so um it's never i think black and white but but i think it's pretty true that entrepreneurs are trying to make something um you know make something that they'll have a nice exit with (laughs)
1: It seems like a significant distinction here is that you know, a freelancer, when you're done, you're done, you hang up your hat, and essentially the things you did go away, whereas an entrepreneur is trying to build something that can carry on after he or she leaves the organization even. It's something that will continue beyond them being involved in it.
3: And I think one of the interesting things that as we pull back, I think the layers of this, in technology, the we can get a little the line can be a little blurred because of the finite nature nature of technology products so when we talk about products and what you productize or you sell as a services some of that stuff has a limited lifespan so the ability even as an entrepreneur to sell your your business interest to someone else that has a i think a a, a limited shelf life uh-huh.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. As an as an in the IT field, you're not going to make a McDonald's cheeseburger that's going to sell cheeseburgers for 50 years, because <laughs> that the product life cycle is so short. It's a good point.
1: And so, where does a productized service, you know, fit into all this discussion? You know, something that you have, it's repeatable, it's scalable, it's a product with a predictable cost structure. How does that fit into this whole entrepreneur slash freelancer discussion?
2: Oh, you know, it's a it's an interesting point that you brought up. I think what I see a lot is freelancers who have an idea for some product, but they're maybe not quite ready to make the commitment to forego their paycheck for a while, right? So maybe they're freelancing to earn some income. They're looking for something to automate or some process to make more efficient, right? And so then they can productize it. And, you know, the more automation in place, the more product like it is, the less automation, the more service like it is. But some blend of those turns it into a product like service that they can then, Scale, so I think it's something that can start really small, and if somebody hits onto a a good idea, they can start augmenting their own time with somebody else's time and build something out of it. And if it doesn't work, you know, no big risk for them. They were able to maybe make some money um, at the same time and sort of pay the pay the bills. I don't know, Keith, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I think a a deeper example, practical example of that is if you're a freelancer in our industry, you know, we. When we freelance, we trade our time to do commodity activities, whether it's setting up a Santa Ray, designing a wide area network, we're trading our design time and knowledge for uh, some type of compensation pay. I think we all get these kind of ideas that, you know, if I created a framework or productized a tool or process that I use... I could sell this capability to a customer. So I have a framework when I when I do customer engagements. I develop my own framework for doing customer engagements. That's IP that I could potentially sell to other cons- consultants. Whether it's training material, you know, a lot of I see a lot of bloggers who look towards doing uh, custom content that uh, like research documents that they can sell to massive amounts of customers beyond just one customer so there's a there's an awful lot of overlap for opportunity for us to do our traditional you know what we get paid to deliver a single assessment or hourly engagement versus you know what the tools that we pick up the processes that we pick up in doing that we can deliver a productized solution to a larger market
0: yeah I think that makes a lot of sense and in my mind Again, in the consulting framework, I'm thinking, too, about the potential value that you add to the customer and the potential profitability of it. So, you know, if you are just selling your time at a rate of $100 an hour or $1,000 an hour, that's very visible and in the face of the customer. And some customers like buying that. Other customers may say, I don't want to pay $1,000 and I want to pay $100 an hour. But if you invest the time up front to, to productize what you're doing, and then you can go in, like, from a fixed fee point of view rather than an hourly consulting point of view you could potentially scale that from a profitability point of view and also ensure quality assurance and customer service, customer consistency.
1: An uh, uh,
2: interesting analog from sort of the client perspective of a freelancer or of a consultant is that how they classify their spend, right? If you're courting an enterprise and pr- approaching a project, if you have a productized service, they often will be able to spend money on that as a capital expense versus an operating expense for your time. And so if you know your customer, then you can position yourself accordingly because you know how budget juggling happens in uh, a big business. That's That can be kind of a numbers game that they'll play.
1: Damien, that sounds like a pro tip in there.
2: Yes, for sure.
0: I think that's really great. So by keeping it flexible in the way you package things, you can fit in the OpEx or the CapEx column, depending on what they're looking to spend that particular day. So you know, now we kind of just agree on a a description of an employee, a freelancer, an entrepreneur, I'm kind of interested to get into the pros and cons. Ben, would you start off sharing your views on job security or insecurity in the context of these different roles?
2: I think you know freelancing has a reputation of being pretty hit or miss and it was feast or famine sort of an industry. And from my standpoint, at least my experience as a full-time freelancer for a little more than a year now, is that it's all in your preparation, right? Are you a person that just got out of school, doesn't have much of a network, has some skills, but um, doesn't, doesn't know people to, that, that will take advantage of those? That, that might lead to a less secure paycheck. On the other hand, if you're established, you have a reputation in certain areas, you've worked at a few businesses, you know a lot of people, uh, maybe you have some connections from, your, from a full-time job that will get you started, you're much more likely to to feel stable and secure. Knock on wood, I, have, I haven't I have had a, an occasion yet where I didn't get a paycheck during the month, and I don't foresee that happening in the future. So I think that's, that's a lot about preparation. If you look at, I think everybody knows this story, if you're working for a big business or even for a startup, you can pretty well depend on your biweekly paycheck or your monthly paycheck, kind of however that's set up. Maybe a little less job security if you're in a startup, but you know that if you're in a startup right you already know you're taking equity and salary in a certain mix and that there's a chance that in a year the startup isn't going to be around i think the hope in that case is that you could jump to another startup if you had to or a lot of people are, are going to end up starting their own so i suspect that those comments i just made aren't going to surprise anyone that's sort of um, i think that's that's pretty well understood
1: Although I guess I would disagree just a little bit. Obviously, if you're a freelancer, you're, you're, you're on your own versus knowing that there's a steady paycheck coming in. You know, if you're working for a company at the same time it's been pretty clear over the past decade or so that job security like it used to be maybe for our parents generation where you work for a company for 40 years they gave you a watch and a pension that doesn't exist anymore you know and in the news this week vmware has done some layoffs we're seeing tech layoffs all the time even if you're working for a fortune 500 company you know there's a chance your job's going away and there's really nothing you can do about it that said when you're working for an established organization, there's also a little bit of runway to help you with the transition, you know, some kind of severance or some other package or some equity with stock or whatever that may pad that that out that you don't get as a freelancer. But I I, I guess I just sort of disagree with the notion that one is more secure than the other.
2: Hmm. Interesting. You know, I, I think if you're getting laid off from a a VMware or a Cisco or an Oracle. I think the chances are pretty good that you can go and quickly find another job at a big enterprise. At least in tech, they seem to be hiring like mad all
1: the time.
3: Um, that's
1: true. That's true.
3: So Ben, so, you know, I think that's a good question or follow-on question because I've heard this debate quite often. And from your practical experience, what's more difficult, finding a new job or finding that next client? Tough question,
2: Keith. Uh, I'm gonna punt a little bit on it by saying it comes back to your ne- your network and your preparation you know that's what i that's what i ultimately think is it's all about your own execution and if you've got a good pipeline like i keep a document i keep a spreadsheet of everybody i have met on linkedin or otherwise that i've connected to on twitter or something that could potentially lead to a project and so if i ever get to the case where i've got nothing lined up for the next month I can go through that spreadsheet one line at a time and hopefully track somebody down. If you're not the kind of person that prepares like that, I think you might be in for a rude awakening.
1: And maybe that's the attitude to have if you, even if you are working for a big enterprise that you want to maintain and groom that, you know, network of connections, God forbid that you you lose a job and you need to tap into those resources. But you know, maybe everyone, even if you're working for a regular paycheck, should maybe have a little bit of that freelancer mindset in the back of preparation and maintaining your network of contacts.
0: I think there's an element about control in there too. So uh, while some folks may be more comfortable interviewing, and I think, uh, Keith, if I remember right, you did a blog post or podcast recently about somebody going through five-round interview. <laughs> you, if you'd rather go through five rounds of interview... Or would you rather be going through 50 lines of a spreadsheet, cold calling people? Uh, maybe that's not that high for established people uh, like you, Ben, but <laughs> uh, which one are you more comfortable with and which one do you feel more in control? I mean, some people would argue that if you can go out, interact with the market and make your own living, that you have more long-term security. But it sounds like it's really, there's really not one that's more secure than another in and of itself. It's really up to the individual and what they're able to do and what they desire.
3: I, I think that, yeah, I think I'm coming to the same conclusion that it's more about personality than it is about the market itself.
1: And Keith, you could probably weigh in on this too, because you also did a podcast about uh, having a job transition that was, you know, it wasn't because of your performance. You decided, I, I don't want to work here anymore. I'm going to go do something else.
3: Yeah, while I was at uh, PWC, I just, you know, great company. Uh, most people, and, and this is the luxury that many industries don't have. I just didn't like management consulting at a big four anymore. It wasn't fitting my kind of niche. And I have a decent social media media following. I'm constantly updating LinkedIn on like my status and involved in groups. So I felt pretty confident in my network from a getting another full time job perspective. So I, I put in a month's notice at, the firm and went about looking for a job as if I was looking for my next project as a consultant.
0: Along those lines, Keith, I'm kind of interested what you think about pros and cons in terms of income, in terms of being an, you know, an employee, an entrepreneur, and a freelancer. So is there, you know, steady income, intermittent income, scalable income, you know, what do you see as the pros and cons of that?
3: I think that's a really good question. And I think the risk steps up as, as you look at each different model that we've defined, so as a full-time employee unless you're at a really unstable startup that you you know you guys are eating ramen noodle collectively and <laughs> just, you you're just taking a ton of equity because you really believe in a product. Every 2 weeks, every month, you know that you're going to get that direct deposit and the money will be steady. Over a few year period, you know that you're going to get your 3% increase in Uh, your W-2 wages, uh, you'll get contribution to your 401K or your retirement fund, you'll have health insurance, you have a solid, you've traded the freedoms that we've talked about earlier for the stability of knowing that the income portion, while it may not be explosive at periods, is consistent. When you go into the freelancing perspective, Depending on where, I think Ben has made some really great points about your overall network and your ability to go from project to project, paycheck to paycheck. I think one of the things that I'm sure Ben has dealt with this, one of the things that you really need to be concerned when you're doing your own uh, freelance bit business or you're an entrepreneur and you're doing a product is that float between when you receive money and when you bill. When you bill and you receive money that can be extremely uneven from a customer to customer perspective. Some customers may be very may pay you as if you were a full-time customer or a full-time employee, where other customers, you know what, you, you might have to seek the hounds on them 30 days, 90 days after you've sent a invoice. Same thing with the product piece. And the product piece, I think, is a little bit more complex because there's some upfront investment. If you're not, doing product development in your spare time, you've dedicated, let's say, two months, six months, a year to create a product and you need to live off savings or you need to live off uh, some type of investment from a, from an uh, uh, outside investor, you're taking on a good deal of risk depending that that product will eventually sell and your customers will pay you on time. I'm interested to flip that on its head in
0: one respect. So one thing I found myself when I had a steady income working as an employee, I I I I really never realized how much money I was spending until I channeled the power of broke as yeah. as uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and 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 yeah, Raymond John is the name I was thinking of. He wrote the book on the power of broke. So I really believe that you know once you get hungry, you start realizing what really isn't necessary and how much how many thousands of months less you could be living on. And that in turn translates to more freedom so that if you can live leaner, then you have more freedom of what you choose, how and when to spend your money. um, And that helps you get through the hump. So I think that might be a little bit self-correcting there, but I'm curious what you think, Keith is that as you've gone through your career and you've changed roles, have you ever noticed a difference, you know, whether you're between jobs or whatever that really made you rethink the way you, you live or your lifestyle or how you, how you spend your money.
3: That's a really great point. Uh, One of my favorite sayings in life in general is that you can't teach hunger. Like, if you ever had to describe what hunger feels like to someone who hasn't been hungry before, it's impossible to describe. It's just this urge uh, that you need to go into survival mode. When I quit my job at PWC, that hunger mode kicked in immediately. You know, I, I, I planned for it. I said, you know what? I have a a good solid three months of where I don't have to worry about, you know, receiving a paycheck that I can look for a job and and be comfortable. But there was this thing that kicked in the back of my head immediately That just, you know, the, we cut back on cable, there was no dining out and instantly we, I I changed uh, my lifestyle for, at least for that period of time, what that's taught me uh, my freelance work that I do on the side, I know that I could support my family and eat just off of my freelance work, and that gives me a bit of security that I've never had before, knowing that you know what if I had to, I could spend a year or two doing just freelance work without being aggressive and finding work, I could I could feed my family so that, that's, that, that completely changes my mindset.
2: You guys raised so many good points. I wish I could reply to every single one of them. I, I don't <laughs> think we have time for that, but I would like to just say you can always have
0: another another uh, podcast or hey, a offline could, ch- talk.
2: <laughs> we could have a follow up chat for sure. But this this concept of floating, you know, floating some money to cover gaps in income is, I think, just critical. And I think it's something that I've seen freelancers make the mistake of doing many times: is not have enough money to to float 60 or 90 days when that big enterprise isn't getting back to you or when you just had to send out a big estimated tax payment, which just kills me, right? Four times a year, you have to send out like a quarter of your tax obligation at especially once. in and California, if you're not, right? <laughs> yeah, it's brutal in California. And if you're not careful about saving it up, then that can be a real shock, to, especially to somebody who's not prepared for that. So I like to have A good six months of living expenses ready in the bank for me to just sort of survive on. And on top of that, enough money to cover my my next tax obligation. So this means that the first six to 12 months even of freelancing is mostly saving, right? So you might be making better money than you've ever made, but you're living on less income because you need to kind of save up this buffer.
0: And that's really interesting. Um all these trade-offs with security and income. I'm curious uh Ben what you think with the f- freedom of freelancing, does it allow you to pursue a particular lifestyle that might be harder to harder to pursue as an employee? I don't know if you like to travel or if you had any particular interest that you're able to pursue and passion that you can follow now more than before?
2: Yeah, um I'm I'm glad that you asked me this question because this is this was really the primary driver for me initially coming into contracting was the flexibility you get. And that's no joke. You know, it's as flexible as you want it to be because you set your clients and you set your schedule and you set the expectation as to whether you'll be working in their office or whether you'll be working remotely and what your hours will be like. It's all on you. And that flexibility is what I love the most. So for me, there, there are two reasons why I wanted that. One is that I'm working on... The next edition of a book the unix and linux system administration handbook which is you know a big obligation it takes a ton of my time and it's also a, a pretty long time investment and looking looking like 12 to 18 months right so i i simply couldn't have had a full-time job and gotten that book out the door and the other thing is the travel flexibility you just mentioned it as it happens i'm going on a two-week snowboarding road trip starting on friday Right. And I couldn't have done that, probably. I'll be able to work some days in there. I'll be able to work on the book overnight. I have all of this flexibility to live my life the way I want and not have a boss telling me what to do. And that independence, I'm just a real independent person. And so that always really spoke to me. That's That was kind of my dream. You just don't get that if you're working for somebody else.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm highly motivated to have that freedom to be able to work when and where and how I'm inspired, and that makes a lot of sense. And I also wanted to chime in that I really admire what you've done, uh, Ben, in in writing and authoring a lot of books and training. Uh, it certainly adds a lot of authority when you can say I literally wrote the book on Unix and Linux system administration. So <laughs> I think that's pretty yeah. awesome. That's your, one of your passions.
2: I think that that book is really what set me on the track to be able to freelance, and that's when I spoke earlier. I said, you know, it kind of depends on your qualifications and what you do to prepare. This was part of my like insurance. Was like people recognize the book, and um, that that gets my foot in the door at a lot of places that otherwise I probably would never have met. So, you know, there's everybody has something like that, that they can do themselves um, to give to give a leg up uh, on the rest of uh, sort of the rest of the community.
0: So, uh, Keith, I, I wanted to. I wondered if you had any other thoughts about freedoms or lack of control being an employee, an entrepreneur, a freelancer. It sounds like you're both an employee and a freelancer, so you got it pretty well covered.
3: <laughs> well, I'm fortunate that my client or one of my clients offered me a full time role from when I was with PwC, and they offered me the flexibility to pretty much go to conferences and as many kind of these meetups that we do as, as much as I, I want. So I'm really fortunate from that perspective. I think one of the things that we have to consider when uh, take the hybrid approach that I am where I have both freelance work work and a full-time employee job is that I am the inverse of Ben, in which I don't have much time to do anything outside of the, the two things. It's, it's very much like having two full-time jobs. Uh, both Ethan and Greg talked about the challenges of running the packet pushers uh, while having full-time jobs, and, and they reap the benefit of both incomes, but it's extremely taxing on your personal life.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I think that I, I tried to do that a little bit when I had a day job as an IT director when I was first starting up my business. Uh, it was very difficult to do right by both, and so I, that's why I quit my job at the end of the year. And, uh doing my own thing full time now. So, um, that makes a lot of sense. And I I wondered, uh, just kind of going back to this lifestyle thing one more time, Keith, uh, I know from your blog that when you were working for a big four, you had to travel a lot for work and that probably got old, but did you still have any desire or interest to travel on your own for just your own interest, you know, or to inspire you, you know, maybe to go into Shanghai or Barcelona or Bali for six weeks and work on a project there or design or write a, write a book or
3: something? Yeah, I think that desire is there. I envy uh, Ben. You know, I look at these nomads, people who freelance for a living, the ability to say that, you know what, I'm just going to live in Shanghai for three months because I can do my work from anywhere. I have a deep desire to do those types of things. I fulfill a little bit of it by getting invited to things like HP discover in London, or uh, I'm talking at V mugs and Sydney next month, Sydney and Melbourne next month. But those are a little bit different. I, I still don't have the, that complete freedom. I still have the, you know, I'm still, a, I'm still a slave to my uh, wage and my paycheck. And I, I have to, I have to fulfill those commitments while on those projects. So yes, I I do have those desires still.
2: You know, Keith, I wanted. To, <laughs> it sounds real glamorous that I made this lifestyle up that I get to live in na- nice places and work remotely and have complete flexibility. And I maybe was a little misleading because you know I still live in a. I live in Berkeley in the Bay Area, which probably alone speaks to why it's I've been able to meet so many people, and I have a, um, such great clients to work with. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm living with my girlfriend who's in school at um, at Berkeley, and so I'm pretty stable. I have this flexibility, but still, I need to be signed on to slack and i need to be responding to emails and attending meetings virtually pretty consistently right it's not like i can take off for two months and fall off the face of the earth and then come back and just pick right up so it's i I wouldn't say it's all puppies and rainbows
3: well i'm sure it's not
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think and there's another pro tip in there ben that if you, it increases your chance of success as a freelancer if you go, if you're willing to relocate where there's a big pool of either like-minded people, talent, things going on. You know, there'd be metro areas or Berkeley or Austin or New York or wherever, wherever things are happening at. Um, that that's going to really incre- increase your success. If you're, you know, staying in suburb X and you know, in the backwoods somewhere, uh, you know, that's not going to going to go so well.
2: I think that's, yeah, that's totally true. I think living in the Bay Area and going to the meetups and joining the community of tech talent here, which is just vast and overwhelming, frankly, I think that that's a huge key to how I've been successful kicking this off. Maybe after you're established a little while, you can um, tone that back a bit. I certainly plan to because the hustle of the city gets to be a little much for me coming from a rural area. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a key ingredient.
1: So we've had a couple of pro tips so far. One is um, you know staying on top of your quarterly taxes or other um, you know requirements and regulations if you're freelancing. Uh, another is keeping that uh, contact list tight, keeping those connections uh, up and available. Guys, do you want to offer any other you know one or two more pro tips if you're going the entrepreneur or freelancer round?
0: I think that one thing I'd like to throw out there and it may sound redundant but is to go out and seek out other people's experience uh that gives you insights like reading Ben's blog and listening to Keith's podcast and uh find out you know what are some of the mindset challenges one thing I heard I don't know if you guys agree this is true in general but that you know when you're trying to start a business usually the first hurdle is mindset and and after you you know then 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 there's a certain other you know hurdle in scale and you know and then that's maybe a uh, an HR problem or, or something like that. But I think mindset is the first thing you've got to work on, and the best way to do that is to go uh, either in person or virtually meet some minds that have been there before you.
2: My own pro tip, or whatever you want to call it, it, it sort of, I guess, enhances what I was saying earlier about maintaining your network. And that's that I don't want to limit it just to the people you know that you've met through work or something, but think about what your own highest qualities, your best traits are, or the things that you think you're best at, and focus on you know, expanding and, and building those. For me, it's been writing. I've always you know, sort of had a, a knack for writing, and so I can increase, um, I can increase my audience by blogging and working on the videos that I've done, which involve a fair amount of writing, and working on the book. And then adapting my writing to, to do talks, right? So then I can go do talks. And putting yourself out in front of as many people as you can, and this gets you recognition and gets you introductions, right? As many, as diverse as you can think of. Meetups, hack days, trainings, conferences, all of these things are opportunities to network. And so it's really, it's all about the people. That's, that's sort of my advice in, uh, when it comes to building a network and getting into freelancing.
3: And then to follow up on the, I think we can get a little heavy on the freelance part because we all like freelancing. <laughs> the, the full-time employee thing. Even as a full-time employee, this has been my mindset since the big crash of 2007, 2008. I never stopped looking for a job, ever. Whether I'm a full-time employee, freelancer, entrepreneur, doesn't matter. My mindset is that, this thing that I have today, no matter how much I like it, could be gone next month. I need to be able to uh, turn on a dime. Even if I'm not looking for to actively leave my job, I want to always be prepared and never get too comfortable.
0: I think that's a really great point. Always being open to new opportunities, being agile to be flexible to change, and then always improving yourself, whether it be through social media and writing or training.
1: Well, this was a really great discussion. I want to thank both of you guys for sharing your expertise and your insights, and thanks to everyone for joining us on the next level. Uh, I'm Drew Conry Murray. You can find my blogs on PacketPushers.net, and you can follow me on Twitter at drew_cm.
0: Hi, I'm Damon Hoising. You can find me on Packet Brigade, and I blog on Packet Pushers as well.
1: So Keith, we, we talked a little bit about CTO Advisor stuff, but just let us know one more time. How can folks find you uh, if they want to hear more from you, if they want to follow your podcast, your tweets, et cetera? So
3: you can find the podcast on obviously the normal mediums, iTunes, it's CTO Advisor. You can find the blog, com, and you can follow me on the Twitters at CTO Advisor.
0: Ben, how can folks get in touch with you? Would you like to plug any of your books?
2: Oh, you can find my books on my website. If you want to take a look, it's whaletech.co. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at IamTheWhaley. That's a great way to just have a quick informal chat with me if you're interested.
1: All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. And for our listeners, we'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can leave comments on the blog post that accompanies this podcast on PacketPushers.net or drop us a line at nextlevel@packabrigade.com at And thanks for listening.